Um, okay, for so, those of you that don't know me, I'm Julia Selko. Um, live in Hastings and have for, I think, the past 27 years. But uh, I was born and raised in Kearney, Nebraska. I'm the youngest of seven siblings. Uh, let's see. My folks moved to Kearney in 1966. That's when it was. And uh, my father, uh, he's a retired anesthetist, and my mom's retired RN. So that's kind of what uh, they, my folks started out in Chicago. They had my oldest sister there. Dad, when he graduated, then they moved to uh, Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, and had the next five kids there, no, six kids. And then they had me when they moved to Kearney. So we were raised Catholic, so as you can imagine, every time we came to Mass, here we came marching in, you know, and it was, oh, there's the, my maiden name's the Browns, yeah. There comes the Browns, you know, and of course my brother, the oldest, he was uh, pretty rambunctious, so they, they knew when we walked in. <laughs> um, so being raised Catholic, um, my older siblings, uh, they graduated from Carney Catholic, and me and my other sister, we did not. We, um, and the sister that was 14 months older than me, she uh, had like borderline Asperger's, and so she actually got held back a year, and so we were in the same class, which was pretty cool. But while we were going to Carney Catholic, um, there wasn't enough specialization for her, so. We, mom opted to put her into the public schools. I said, well, can I go with? So I did. But prior to that, being raised Catholic, you know, um, I remember in sixth grade when moving, uh, going to move up into seventh grade, you know, I kind of had a proud look about me, so to speak, you know, a haughty spirit, if you want to call it that. And so, and I think, in a way, even today, I think, there's, there's that stigmatism with schools similar like that. If you've got this haughty spirit, you know, you can um, do no wrong, you know, it's, you know, upper echelon or whatever. So I remember even in sixth grade, the early memory of having, you know, a proud look, I guess, is what you want to call it. Um, and when I was in eighth grade, there still in the Catholic school, I had uh, we had nuns back then, so that's where were teachers. And I struggled with math, and there was a time that I went up to the board because she called three of us up to the board, and I think it was algebra at the time. I'm not sure, but she um, I struggled with it, and she told me just go sit down. And I remember we'd go to mass every Friday, I think it was in school. And they'd always sing this song, you'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, you know, I don't know if any of you are familiar with that song. But when she humiliated me in front of the class, um, that song came to my mind. And I thought, there's something wrong here. You know, for the first time in my life, I realized that there was something wrong. And I think I was probably about 14 at the time. And so, you know, we've got some young kids in here, you know, that, like me, at age 14, you know, thought you're, you know, you think you're pretty, you're something, you know. So now you're going to prove yourself to these teachers that you're not going to put up with their baloney. So the next week when I was called up to the chalkboard, I said, no, I'm not coming up there, you know. And she says, no, you need to come up here. I says, no. I'll be wasting your time and the class's time. <laughs> and she didn't like that, her being a sister and all. So she says, you need to leave the classroom and go down to the principal's office. And I'm like, no, I'm not going down there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, she, she uh, luckily they got rid of the rulers, you know, to smack on the back of your hand by that point. So she literally took me by the arm and, and drug me outside of the classroom and she says, you just stand here. I was fine with that, you know. And little did I know that um, she had, on the PA system or something, I don't know how they are able to 
get down to the office without everybody knowing. But by the time I got to the principal's office, my mother was there. And she actually supported me. When I told her the story, she, she says, well, you know, you heard it from her. She was embarrassed. You shouldn't have done that. So my mom had my back even back then, you know. And I was very thankful. So about that time, I do remember, it might have been the summer of my 14th year, that I stumbled across a track, you know, a gospel track, if any of you are familiar with those, you know. But this was just a plain track. It was orange and it had white lettering in it. And I remember it had a prayer in the back, but I didn't really quite understand it, you know. And so I do remember reading the Catholic Bible from that point and just kind of reading the Psalms. Like I said, I didn't really understand it. But um, I knew that there was something that was just totally off with the way that religion was. So I even told my mother and father at that time, I'm no longer going to Mass. I'm done, you know, because um, if that's the way a Christian, so to speak, is to be rude and, and disrespectful and um, humiliating a child, then I don't want anything to do with it. So for the next couple of years, you know, like any teenager, you know, you experiment, you do things that you're not proud of, and, but you think you know it all. You know, you think you're not going to have any consequences. You don't think you're going to have any regret. You know, you don't think that the pain that you cause others during that time is going to affect them either. But it does, and um, I guess until one's old enough to realize uh, that the consequences that you're suffering now is because of the choices you made as a teenager or a young 20-year-old or what have you. So, um, One of my sisters, she was the middle child, need I say more, but she... <laughs> but one of her friends witnessed to her and um, I think led her through a prayer and she became born again. And I remember there was something odd about her and just, um, of course there always was something odd about her, but this time there really was. But, and she was actually, she was one of the ones I looked up to, my, my sister. And we were on our um, annual trip for Easter to Iowa. And on two days before my 16th birthday, we were in the van and we were driving to Iowa and my sister was with me. and. Two other siblings were with me, and mom and dad. Um, my father, was, he was born and raised in Mount Vernon, Iowa, so that's on the west side of Iowa there, near, I think, Iowa City. And I remember my sister talking to me in the van about Jesus and how he died for us. And it was um, something I never heard before. Um, yeah, I mean, I heard about the cross and this and that, but it didn't really connect how, why was that relevant to me? You know, why was Jesus' death on the cross relevant to me, you know? So, you know, she led me in a prayer, and from that moment on, I was different. You know, I knew it. Um, you know, how it talks about in John 3, chapter 3, where Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, and he says, what must I do to receive eternal life, you know? And... Um, he said, you know, you, one must be born again. And he goes, well, what do you mean by that? You know, we kind of know the story. You know, can you go back in your mother's womb and so forth. So I experienced that when he said, you know, what, that which is born in the spirit is spirit. You know, and it, you can see the effects. You see the wind and so forth. Like, you know, those of us that have received Christ. But you, you can't, you don't know because it, to explain it to those that are teenagers and a little younger, you don't fully understand what God is doing because he's creating a new creation in Christ Jesus, a new creation. And all things do become passed away. And you're no longer, I mean, you can tell that you're born again when there's fruit to, uh, you're no longer doing the things you're doing. You, you've repented, you switched, and you're doing the things that are pleasing to God. You no longer desire that sin anymore. So that was me. You know, I, I bowed my hair, my head, and said a prayer. And even my mom, you know, noticed a difference. You know, I wasn't sneaking out of the house anymore. 
wasn't going to bonfires anymore, you know, stuff like that, that children shouldn't be doing. But, you know, mom went back to school when I was 13. I was the youngest. She was studying to be an RN, so wasn't supervised that well. So, but anyway, I had shaky beginnings, you know. Um, the church that my sister went to, I didn't know at the time, but it was part of the Word of Faith church. Kenneth Copeland and, you know, Marilyn Hickey and, um, you know, the others. Uh, and, but they had good Bible studies. And I remember that summer, I spent a lot of time with, in um, Bible studies and with other people. But then school started and, you know, like I said, kind of had shaky beginnings, kind of reverted to my old self again for a little bit. And then when I turned 17, my, my brother, he was entering the, um, he was in the Navy. And my dad was, he had spent two years in the Navy also when he was younger. And I had this harebrained idea, you know what, I'm gonna join the Navy. And so at 17, my mom and dad said, yes. <laughs> so they signed over, you know, signed me up, but I still had another year of school left. So, um, uh, so for the next, you know, what was it, uh, six months, because I graduated midterm and then went into the Navy. So, um, like I said, had shaky beginnings then. Um, kind of re read my Bible, so, sort of, kind of went to church, you know, just didn't really see the a whole lot of significance in it. You know, I just thought, well, maybe this is just um, kind of like Catholic Church again. I don't know, maybe you go every now and then. And didn't quite understand what God was doing, you know, work in me even then. And so going into the Navy, went through boot camp, that was okay. Um, got uh, into my A school, and that was up in Philadelphia. I was up in Philadelphia for about uh, three months. And I, you know, I was 18. By then I knew everything and told my superiors, well, I don't want to do this line of work anymore. <laughs> it was welding. I was a hall technician. Yeah, I had these harebrained ideas. So. So they said, okay, and I was supposed to go to New England because that was going to be my duty station. And uh, so they said, well, you need to pick three places you want to go. And um, I thought, well, I'll just, I don't know, Florida, you know, West Coast, something, you know. Well, I ended up in Florida. And God, like I said, he knew what he was doing. He actually put me on a ship, okay. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to go on a ship, so <laughs> tough. So I remember... Um, after A school, I could go home on leave, picked up my car and drove down to Mobile, Alabama because our ship was in dry dock there. And it was dirty, I remember, and, and uh, uh, it was always wet there in Mobile. I don't, know, I don't know about you, if you guys have lived there, or, but it seemed like about 1 o'clock it just would rain. I don't know, it just would rain. It was during the summer months. During the winter, it was just humid all the time. But we were only there, I think, a total of three months that, that when I came on. But I think they had been there a year. But when I walked on board, I met Petty Officer uh, uh, Freilich and um, this other Petty Officer. And um, they, they knew I was a newbie, was that, you know, coming in. And one of the Petty Officer Freilich, he says, you know what, I got a group of people you know, that are like a welcoming committee, I'd like for you to attend. I said, okay, you know, I never thought anything of it. Got settled in, you know, got into my uh, area. I was in the repair division. And then uh, one day in passing, it was, you know, not even a week went by, he says, you know, hey, I told you about this group. I want you to get, you know, we're a welcoming committee. I said, okay, okay, where, 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 do, you, where do we meet? He says, well, up in the chapel. I was like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> And so um, God was, he was wonderful. I mean, he was. He, set, he uh, placed me right smack dab where I needed to be with a group of Christians. Um, we met almost every day, you know, because we were all single, you know, and we read our Bibles. We had Bible studies. We were constantly in the Word. and um, Kind of like here, you know. You had this friendship, this camaraderie, you know. And being young, you know, you have all the time in the world, especially you teenagers, you've got time to, to get into the Word, to, you know, learn verses, to learn how to witness to others, you know, 
spend your time wisely because you're not going to get it back. You see the, the your folks here, they've got children, they've got responsibilities, they've got jobs, you know. That's all going to come quicker than you know. So I'm telling you now, use the time to memorize scripture, to read God's word, to know what it's about, you know, so that when you do finally give an account, you'll be ready. And not only that, you know, scripture talks about um, you should be able to, um, uh, that the hope that you have within you, you should be able to have an answer ready for that. Not that you're going to, you know, tell of, you know, everything you know, but just to be ready when somebody asks for that hope that's within you. So that's why I just want to encourage you teenagers and your young 20-year-olds that aren't married yet, because that time goes by so fast. Um, so we, uh, being on a ship, we went on two deployments. And prior to that, prior to going on deployments, you always went down to Guantanamo Bay, Gitmo, to prepare you know, for your trips, your deployment. And those were hard, you know, duty because we were always in general quarters, you know, wearing a mask, this and that, so. And you wanted to pass the first time because if you didn't, you spent another six weeks there, and it was, a, it was not fun. But the times that we would get liberty, you know, and that was enjoyable. So on our first trip, our first deployment, we were, um, uh, like I said, we were stationed in Mayport, Florida, which is Jacksonville. And our first trip was um, through the Mediterranean, down through the Suez Canal, and then into the Indian Ocean to a small little island called Diego Garcia. Have anybody heard of it? No? Okay. Lo looks like it's an old volcano, and it looks like a footprint, literally. And anyway, um, there's a marine base on there. There may still be a marine base there. And um, then you'd also have, uh, there was couple of British ships that were there that they uh, docked there. What our ship was, we were a repair tender. We had all the carpenters, all the plumbers, all the um, welders and so forth. And so we would send our men and women onto the other ships and they would perform the work. They had some carpenters, some electricians, but they were very limited. So we did the bulk of the work as a repair tender. When I got on the ship, there was only 40, 50 women. When I left, there was 150 women. So um, we spent, I think, two months, maybe three months there in uh, Diego Garcia, and we couldn't wait to leave because there was nothing to do there. <laughs> and so um, then we spent a little bit of time in the Med. We were at... Um, Sicily, that's where we were at, yeah, Augusta Bay, Sicily. We had some liberty there, and then um, Palermo was okay. It was kind of an armpit, like uh, Newark, New Jersey. <laughs> but um, so, then the, so then we came back, and it was the fall of uh, 86. So, And then for a year, you know, you have, um, did I do something? Okay, is it still recording? Or? Yeah. Okay. Um, so then we had a year, you know, and uh, just, you know, doing uh, drills, things like that that you do. I'm going taking, you know, taking uh, uh, trips, short trips, that, well, I call them trips only because, you know, we're hauling stuff and delivering them and so on and so forth. So anyway, so the next uh, deployment was in 88, and that we've spent the entire time in the med. And our, our group of Christians... Um, we would, this time, since we knew we were going to stay in the med, we ordered uh, chick tracks. Are you guys familiar with that? We ordered um, in French uh, and Spanish, mainly, because we had opportunities, you know, once we got off work, that we could go and, you know, some, some of our, um, some of our um, Puerto Rican uh, friends and Christians and then we had a few Mexicans on there that were in our group. So that when we went out, um, we would hand out tracks and so forth. And you know, I would attempt to try to talk to, but I, I couldn't. So I would just buddy up with one of those that was um, could speak Spanish. Or I knew a little bit of French. I took three years, no, two years in high school, but 
just enough to ask where the bathroom was and what time is it. So, <laughs> um, so we made stops. Our first stop was in Rota, Spain. That's always the first stop because that's where everybody refuels. And then um, our next stop was Gaeta, Italy, which was beautiful. Love the people there. I'd, I'd move there in a heartbeat. Um, while we were there for about a month, we, during the times that we could have liberty, we would go um, and take tours. We went all the way up to Rome, um, saw the Vatican, you know. And, um, and then our next uh, port was Israel. We were there for two months, and we, our port was at Haifa, when Mount Carmel would be just like straight up, and they had a nice little path that you could go up. It took about 20 minutes to get up there. And um, uh, took a tour t through the old Jerusalem. It was open at that time. That was pretty uh, fascinating. I loved that. Um, then also a Sea of Galilee tour. We all were able to go into the Jordan River, and that was pretty cool and then amazing as well. Um, so let's see. There was one time we were at Palma de Mallorca, and that's part of Spain. And my friend and I, Denise, um, we went out and we were witnessing and so forth. And when we got back to the ship, we were in trouble. Because one of our shipmates didn't care for us to be out there witnessing and so on and so forth. So we were kind of pulled into the superiors and um, we were to give an account. You know, why, why would you do, you're going to jeopardize, you know, uh, you know, the safety of the other sailors and so on and so forth. So we had to give an account, you know, and they just told us, uh, you know, we weren't beaten or anything like Paul and Silas, but we were told, you know, don't be doing this again, you know. We didn't have another opportunity just because they pretty much kept us on board and we were only there for three days, so. But uh, Denise was a very... Um, influential influential person in my life I mean here I am 18 19 20 you know very uh, influential years and she was a very strong Christian she when she came into the Navy she had her um, bachelor's degree she didn't want to be a, um, an officer she just wanted to the experience of the Navy so um, she was uh, well versed in the Bible she was one of those that I mean, she could quote scripture and verse. You could just ask her, well, what does Isaiah you know, 10 to say? She could tell you, you know. She was very good. And I remember many times she'd tell me, you know, you just ain't ready. You know, what do you mean I'm not ready? You just ain't ready. You know, we get into some hard things. And looking back, I understand, you know, when she would tell me. She was a type of friend. I don't know if you've had one of these that she'll tell you right to your face. It's smack right between the... the the eyes. This is, you know, this is it. This is, you know, you got a true friend there when they're not afraid to tell you what you really need to hear. So, um, uh, she was uh, just a big part of my life, and even today, I, you know, I've lost touch with her. But um, the the lessons and the things that God taught me through her um, are priceless, really. Um, so anyway, I got out of the military. Um, no, I didn't marry uh, Petty Officer Freilich, although, <laughs> yeah, he was a good, he was a nice guy. Um, um, you know, was was just discharged. Got got married. You know, fast forward, uh, raising a family, going to church, and I had a baby. Um, and it just seemed like those years. Um, uh, I was a stay-at-home mom for about 10 years, and, um, you know, it seems like you don't have a purpose, you know, when you're raising kids and you got a family, and, you know, I get where some of you may be thinking that, you know, golly, I'm just changing diapers and, you know, fixing the next bottle, or I'm, now i got a stack of dishes, and now I'm doing laundry, you know. But it all, it all matters, you know, because this is your training. This is your training for when you are older, when you become a grandmother, when you become an empty nester. You know, it's preparing you for this. 
the strength that you're going to gain through these years is is going to pay off. It may seem mundane and and tedious at times, but it does pay off. And hopefully your children will rise and call you blessed, both your both parents. So, like I said, those years were kind of a blur, you know. I didn't get to you know, go out and witness and stuff. I struggled for many years on how to share. Because um, even when I was younger, you know, I had the chick tracks and stuff like that, but didn't really um, ask a whole lot of questions with people on the streets. I would just hand them tracks if they had a question, tried the best I could, you know. It was Denise that was answering everything, you know. I would ask her, you know. So anyway, so those years, uh, hang in there, young couples, you know, with the kids. It gets better, it does, and uh, it, it's a blessing when you finally have your kids um, say, you know, Mom, because this happened recently, maybe about five years ago, you know, I'm sure glad I didn't get that tattoo that you told me not to. Because <laughs> I told her, when you're 18, you're out of the house, you can get whatever, you can do whatever you want. But until you're under my roof, that's how it is. And stick to your guns, you guys, stick to your guns, because... You we're really entering some hard and difficult times, times that we haven't seen. And um, they're going to need you, your children. They're going to be exposed to things early on than you, even you guys did, and much earlier on than I experienced. I mean, some of the things that uh, nine-year-olds know now, I didn't know until I was in high school or maybe even after. So hang in there. Um, as a couple, work through the differences. Don't worry too much about, hey, the, the, you know, he didn't take out the trash. Well, geez, she left that. You know, why didn't she do this? And why didn't he do that? All this finger pointing, it's not going to get you anywhere. You got to remember, it's up here. Have your relationship up here. Because this is always going to disappoint you every time. People will disappoint you, family will disappoint you, but you've got to realize that all this stuff, all the bickering, all the his, mine, ours, uh, it's, it's not worth the energy. Somebody's got to concede, somebody's got to surrender, but you're not surrendering to them. You've got to realize that. You're surrendering to him, and until you get that, that it's always him, that there's always a purpose in everything, no matter what it is, finances, um, where the kids are going to go to school, what party they can go to, this and that. Just remember that you're going to be held accountable. Doesn't matter what she does, doesn't matter what he does, you're going to be the one standing before the Father, and you're the one that's going to have to give the account. So all this little stuff. I had to learn to let it go. So what if I have, I have to take out the trash? Thank God I got a trash can, got a house for the trash can. Switch your, your thoughts. Your thought has to switch so that it's no longer blaming but that of praise and thankfulness because that's going to help you get through, especially when your kids come to you. They see everything. You know that. So you got to be that testimony for them, for them to walk with the Lord. You know, now I wasn't perfect. My daughter has sort of kind of walked away from the Lord. And there's things I could have done differently. You know, I made my mistakes. I'm not proud of some of the things I did. But looking back, and I'm thankful that I'm able to at least convey to you guys, be careful. Remember that it's... They're watching, they're seeing your attitude. If you're a woman, they're seeing your attitude towards your spouse, your husband. Men see, you know, the way you treat your wife and the son sees that, that's the way he's going to treat his wife and vice versa. So I would just encourage you to just lay it down, give it to God, and if it irritates you, whatever it does, take a moment. Or tell your spouse, I need a moment. Get with the Lord and deal with it.
you're going to be so much better off if you do it that way. I wish I would have done many, many things that way and didn't. And I, yes, God saves us. He, he like, like David, you know, he confessed his sin in Psalm 51. He confessed it. He forsaken. it. He knew that he sinned against the Lord. But you know what? He, God took him out of that, but he didn't remove the consequences, did he? He had to live with them. So even today, the choices that you make, you're going to have to live with them as you get older. The regret that you have that doesn't ever end, but it, dwelling on it can end. The moment it comes into your mind, you, you bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You cast down those imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself. You know, so I would encourage you to do that. Um, so up until about three years ago, you know, I, like I said, I struggled with um, how, do I, how do I share my faith, you know? How do I share my faith? What, you know, just struggled for years, you know? I'm a Christian of 30-some years now, and I just felt, you know, this conviction, like, yeah, I'm supposed to be doing this, but how do I do it? You know, what do I do? So it took an accident to bring me to a place that I was willing to listen. You know, I'm hard-headed. Uh, <laughs> I have to be, you know, God has to, you know, crack the whip on me because I'm pretty stubborn. At least I think I'm beginning to mellow here in the last few years. But um, I was uh, out at Hastings Lake with my grandson three years ago. We were rollerblading, okay? I'm in my 50s, okay, shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, I'm still 20, right, in my mind, okay? So he goes, okay, Grandma, we're going to go down this hill. I says, oh, we are? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I shouldn't have, but went down the hill, end over end. I went into the grass, broke my collarbone. We're a mile from the house, no phone. So <laughs> we had to roll her bag back. Got there, luckily my daughter was there, and she took me to the emergency care or whatever it is, a little cracker box, you know, emergency. Sure enough, it was broke. So um, we, we don't have cable or anything, so I'll, we, we've got internet. And so I, you know, would watch sermons and things and still do. And, came, and stumbled across, well, lo and behold, Living Waters. And you've heard Brian talk about it and others. And um, it really piqued my curiosity because I thought, wow, this is interesting. You know, using the law and the gospel, how does that work? I thought, you know, the law, we don't, we don't use the law anymore, do we? You know, <laughs> what? You know? So I watched many of his videos, uh, Ray Comforts, and um, didn't have Facebook at the time. Um, read a lot of his books. I decided... Um, I contacted, I think it was Living Waters, and they said, well, you need to probably get on Facebook. I said, well, I don't have an account. He says, well, create a Facebook. And he put me in contact with Tony Ramsack of Answers in Genesis. I don't know if any of you have heard of him, but he's, um, he's an IT person, but he goes on a lot of their um, witness training camps and things like that. They've, allowed, they've used him in that way. They've allowed him to do that. And... Uh, so anyway, I got in contact with him and then just others um, that he put me in contact with and others on Facebook. And so my Facebook, um, if anybody were to go on it, I don't post anything because I'm in groups. So if I post something, it's within the group. And I kind of like that because I don't like a picture of myself or nothing. So I think my profile picture is a centerpiece of something. I don't know. <laughs> but... Um, so I really, you know, I got my feet wet with Living Waters, read a few books. Um, my injury happened in May, and by, I think it was July, I was kind of out there on the street. You know, I ordered some tracks and things like that. Couldn't really find anybody to go with me, but I thought this was, this was my desire. You know, I need to be about the Father's business doing that. And so... Um, Tony put me in contact with uh, um, Tomorrow's Forefathers, which is the Molly family. They have a camp, what's called Camp Testify. And they do it, as, I think this is their sixth year. And 
what they do is they have partnered with Answers in Genesis, you know, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter, those of you that are familiar with it, um, in Des Moines, Iowa. They have a camp at um, Willowbrook, and um, the Molly family, I think they own it. And anyway, for the past, this will be their sixth year, they have two separate camps in August around the time of um, the Iowa State Fair. Answers in Genesis has a 400 square foot booth that they have a small model size of the ark. They've got a big mural of the uh, a picture of Noah's ark. And then on the other wall is um, different scripture questions and things like that. It's just huge lettering. But anyway, I went to this camp last year and the first camp there was 60 of us and the second camp there was 58 of us. So I went to the first camp. Um, they've got, I call them uh, barracks, you know, so male and female and then a family. And what they do is they have um, training in the morning. So they fly somebody in from Living Waters and then someone in from Answers in Genesis. And Tony was a speaker last year and uh, from Living Waters was, um, oh, I can't remember his name right now. But um, he's like a, he does trick, uh, he used to, trick bicycle type of thing. I don't know what you call it, not, not F FX something or whatever, I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, so we had training in the morning. Um, then by, have lunch, and then by 2 o'clock we're loading up and we're heading to the fair. And at the fair, you're, you're in a rotation. So there's 60 of us, we're split into five groups. Um, and then we're broken into five different things. You either have booth time, um, street time, um, free time, prayer time, and free time. But each day, you know, three days, it, you could have started out in the booth first, or you could start out as a free time first, or what have you. Okay, so you got training in the morning about you know, for um, evangelism. And prior to going to the state fair, Answers in Genesis, when you sign up for the camp, they send you two college courses that prepares you to be able to, it equips you to um, express to those uh, how to explain the gospel using um, creation. So the first 11 books of the Bible, you, you learn that. And then you also learn on the second course, you're learning more on uh, epigenetics and um, the workings of the cell and stuff like that. Because you're all going to need that when you're talking to people at the fair. So while in the booth, you have a lot of people that come by, you're, you're handing out tracts and so forth. And they're coming in, they're looking at the, the little small model of the um, Noah's Ark, and they're asking questions. I've talked to uh, engineers, I've talked to um, you know, doctors, talked to you know, common folk and stuff like that. But you, it, the course is really great, and it's free if you, you, you sign up for the camp and so on and so forth. So you're learning, and then you're also learning how to put this, uh, what you know into use, and, and how to strike up a conversation, how to start it, how to get it going, how to keep it going, how to switch from the natural to the spiritual so that you eventually get to um, the gospel, the law and the gospel. So anyway, I went to that uh, last year. It was wonderful. Um, had many conversations on the street. You usually pair up with someone. Um, since I had a little bit of experience, I had two that followed me and I, I was coaching them. They wanted me to coach them on how. And so um, after that, uh, I was really pumped and, and uh, uh, now knowing how to strike up a conversation and, and, and to use that information that I usually like to pick out the most strangest people in the crowd or what have you. The girls with purple hair and, uh, you know, eyelashes and things like that, or, you know, if it's a, just a one-on-one -on -one, uh, guy that might have, a, I don't know, a mohawk or something like that, some strange, lots of tattoos, whatever. But I usually like to pick them because it's so easy to strike up a conversation with them because they have so much going on. You can pick just about anything, and he, well, it's true. And you, you know, you. But you are looking at. You learn to look at people with compassion. Um, the last gal that I talked with uh, was two weeks ago. She had purple hair. 
her and her friend um, were together. And um, they weren't a couple or anything. But I asked them, I said, you know, the Pride March is in town. I says, what do you guys think about that? And I had my rainbow track. I, I had got some out in the car that I, that I actually designed. And then I had um, Tony Ramzak from Answers in Genesis kind of proofread it and so forth. So anyway, I designed it specifically for Pride Month. It's got a nice rainbow on it that I designed. I, I do card making, so I've got stamps and ink and so on and so forth. So I made the design of it, and then I also did the inside, uh, the wording and so forth. But I asked the gal, I said, so what do you think of this? And, she, and her gal says, well, I think it's okay. I mean, they, each to their own and so forth. And I am at this time, um, you know, the shooting in Texas had gone on like a week earlier. I said, so... So just kind of letting people live the way they want to live. So if it's okay, they, they can just do it. And yeah, yeah. It's just, well, what about the shooter in Texas? Was that okay? Is he just able to just do what he wants? Well, no, no. I said, so then you have a standard then, you know. So in regards to that, you know, I had it, probably talked with them for about 20 minutes and just, uh, just kind of conveyed to them that what what they were trying to get at is that the that everybody should just live by their own standard but when you put it into into reality into true life things then they begin to understand you know and then you can finally get to switch it from that natural what you're talking about and then into the spiritual and start asking them questions you know did you yeah did you grow up in a church you know and you can start switching it that way you know where do you think you're going to go when you die you know what what do you believe in an afterlife whatever um, so those of you that have a desire to be able to witness to those on the street, there's tools out there. I'd encourage you to get in touch with Living Waters, Answers in Genesis, and there's others. Um, so if you were frustrated like I was through the years, there's tools out there. And it, I used to be a very, very shy person. I, I wouldn't talk to anybody. You know, up until three years ago, you'd never know it. But I, I did have the ability just be, um, to be able to strike up a conversation with anybody. And that was probably because of my dad. My dad was kind of friendly, and he'd always do that. No matter where we went, um, he'd always strike up a conversation. And so now, um, you know, I, at one point I did mention to the group in, at the state fair, you know, the, the camp testify, I said, you know, I don't have anybody to go out with me, you know, to, to witness and, and get the gospel out. And one of them says, you know, that's okay. You just go. You just go. Um, because you're not going alone. You know, he goes with you. And I think what I love the most about it is the point of time when you're explaining the gospel to them and they finally get it, especially when you're taking them through the law. And you're letting the you're you're asking them you know questions to, you know the Ten Commandments not all ten you're just picking maybe four, and they're getting it you know, you know have you ever told a lie Yeah I have. Where does that make you? Well a liar. You ever taken anything that didn't belong to you? Well yeah. What does that make you? A, a thief. But I did it when I was a kid though. Well if you're standing in court and you robbed a bank and shot a guard, but yet he lived, and you tell the judge, well, I'm not gonna do that anymore. That was six months ago. He's gonna say, so what? You know, I'm judging you what you did six months ago. So I explained that to them. So the beautiful part about it is when I've asked them four questions. I said, by your own admission, you claim that you're a liar, you're a thief, you're a blasphemer, and you're adulterer at heart. If you were to stand before God today, would you be innocent or guilty? They say guilty. Would you go to heaven or hell? You know. And I had someone a few weeks ago tear up on me, a, a man. And I said, you know, I know it's hard to think that a, a creator would allow someone to go to hell. But you know what? There's got to be some justice somewhere. Where would we want Hitler to spend his life? Would it be fair if we just slapped him on the wrist and let him go? I said, so we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. And I, I tell people that. I'm just as guilty as the next person. Because I never want to put myself above anybody because I am a wretch. You know, uh, what I know, I've just scratched the surface. I, I mean, there's so much more that 
I need to know as a Christian, you know, as a God-fearing woman. But the beautiful part is when you see the Holy Spirit working, and most of the time they get agitated, they get, they want to like, you know, step away, and then you, you know, you just tell them, I appreciate your time, you know, and thank you for listening. I just got to, I want to get to the good part, so I get to the gospel. But you know that the Spirit is 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 working on them, because what does the Spirit do? He's there to convince and convict the world in judgment. And so it's his job. While the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Okay? Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. So when they are in that moment, the Holy Spirit is dealing with them. You can tell it because you can always tell in their eyes. And it's, that's what I love the most about it because it's so rewarding. You see the Holy Spirit working. And if you have someone with you, they're usually praying, you know, or someone's talking to them, I'm praying. So you know that the Holy Spirit's there. It's evidence that he's there because the devil don't want them to hear this. Okay, so you know it's of God. So, um, like I said, I don't know how much time I've got. Um, so then, um, like I said, I go to local events. Um, I had every intention of going to Camp Testify, and just about four days ago, I had to cancel. Um, I have an autoimmune disease, and I, I struggle with it. Um, by God's grace, I'm, I'm doing okay today. <laughs> but um, so it would prevent me to be uh, any length of time away from a facility and so forth. So. It was a very tough decision. I thoroughly enjoyed it last year, but I know there's a reason and a purpose for everything, you know. Um, I don't know what come what may, you know. And I've learned, and maybe it is through witnessing to others and seeing their hardship, listening to their stories, you know. Because before I ever even get to the law and the gospel, I'm, I'm conversing with them. I'm finding out their story finding out their worldview, their hurts, their pains, their fears, so that they see that I, I do really care. Because there have been times when people have said, when I've asked them, well, are you going to go to heaven or hell? Well, I'll go to hell. Does that concern you? Well, no. And I tell them, it concerns me. I barely know you. I've gotten to know you. And it, it frightens me that you would choose uh, you know, hell in that way. And I, then I go on to elaborate on what is told from the Bible about hell. And, you know, uh, the worm dies not, and the fire that just, you know. And so, um, like I said, won't be able to go to camp testify. But um, so I go to local events and uh, talk to others in the supermarket and when I'm getting food or drive through or whatever. I'm always handing out a track. Try to almost every time. Um, I, and I usually do, and a lot of, a lot of times, they're, I mean, most of the time they're thankful because, and then you learn to strike a conversation with the teller or with the, the cashier, you know, that's, that's the first step. I went through, um, uh, the way of the master course, uh, it's the basic training course. And, uh, I went through that through zoom, you know, um, somebody through this, uh, group in, uh, Des Moines, yeah. Someone was putting it on, and so he kind of put out a feeler to see how many would like to go through it. And so I went through it. And so you're doing the uh, Way of the Master, it's the student edition, and you just start, and it just takes baby steps on how you learn to go out and do this. The, what you're doing is the everybody you meet for a week, just smile at them, just smile them, wherever you go, smile. Next week, strike up a conversation. Hey, you know, how long have you been on your shift today? Oh, oh, you're just getting off. Well, good. I hope you got something planned, you know. So just learn how to converse. You know, those of you that are shy, especially. Just baby steps. And then <clears throat> from there, then you uh, start handing out tracks. And they, they tell you, hand out a track. Don't, you don't even have to actually hand it to somebody. Place it somewhere, okay. And then the next week, so this is like the fourth or fifth week, now you're handing it to someone. They ask you what it is, you tell them what it is. It's a gospel track. If you don't feel like talking, just walk on. So you're getting yourself out there, okay? So local events and so on and so forth. Yeah, do, do I get strange looks? Sure, but you know, their soul's at risk. Um, 
my momentarily embarrassment or whatever, I had one woman said, you're a Bible thumper, aren't you? This is in the supermarket. I talked with her. She's dying of cancer. Talked with her about the law and the gospel. And she says, you're a Bible thumper. She said, I want you to just stop right there. And I just, I had kind of tears in my eyes, and I thought, you're stage four. You don't want to hear it, is what I was thinking. I said, Brenda, I'll be praying for you. And that's probably been about six to seven months ago. I don't know, even know if she's still on earth. But you will come across people that don't want to hear it. And at that point, you respectfully say, you know, thank you for your time, and that's it. Um, so when I came back from uh, Iowa State Fair, then Brian, he had the uh, Mobile Creation Museum out at the Iowa State Fair. I volunteered, and I really loved that. Talking to people on the streets, you know, and uh, uh, one did come to the Lord. I had maybe three that came to the Lord at the Iowa State Fair that I was, you know, I that's, that's him. That's all him, you know. And, um, but there's just so many opportunities out there um, to go and talk to others, to converse, to share the gospel. If you're nervous, take somebody with you. If, if you're unsure, you know, uh, read up on it. Watch some videos, what have you. Like I said, there's lots of tools out there. Um, and I've had many talks with people before in groups like this. It's okay. It's okay. If, you, if God doesn't send me one, that's fine. I'm still going to do it because that's my heart. But there is a big misconception out there that, well, I'm not the evangelist. You know, that's, you know, I, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Okay. In that verse of scripture, it talks about how he gave us preachers, teachers, and evangelists. Next verse says, to equip the saints. Okay. That's to equip you guys to be able to go out and evangelize, to teach, to preach. Because when you're out there evangelizing, you are teaching. Because you are teaching them. Some, the two girls I was telling you about the, about two weeks ago uh, that were at the uh, farmer's market, I had to take them back to Genesis, to the Garden of Eden. Because one of them said, well, why does God let bad things happen? I said, it's because of the fall. It's our fault, you know. So... Get equipped, especially you young kids, you teenagers, you those in college. You got the time. Put in the effort. I'm, I'm telling you, you can be used in a mighty way. You guys feel right now that you have no significance. You don't have a purpose. You, God has something waiting for you guys. He really does. I wish I knew this at 14, 15, 16. I wish I would have known that I could be used by God that I could be out there talking to people, that I could be winning souls to Christ. I have a purpose now, you know? I could say that as a teen, had I known. But I know that Ray Comfort didn't get started until 2002. That was way past my teenage years. Look him up. Get to know, I and mean, it's not that difficult. You, got, you guys talk on Facebook all the time, you talk to your Instagram, whatever. It's not that difficult to strike up a conversation. It's so rewarding. You, and not only that, you're winning souls. You're, you're gaining new friendships even, you know? So take the time. Sorry if I'm boring you, you teens, but it's so important, and you're going to wish someday, boy, I wish I would have listened like I did and didn't. Um, so I, I would have uh, volunteered another day or two, at the uh, Nebraska State Fair, but then I came down with COVID. <laughs> so I was kind of disappointed. Um, and then during the, the Christmas, the, the lighting of the lights, I don't know how many of you went downtown for that. Yeah. Well, they had a friend of mine, um, Frank Zitzman and Shannon, uh, I forget his last name, but they live in Kentucky. They have developed a couple of tracks that are really good. One is um, you can go... You Can Go to Hell from Church is the title of one. And the other one is a bright colored um, Santa, vibrant colors. Um, are you ready for Santa? And so I ordered, I think it was 100 tracks from them. And they're booklets. And those went out like hotcakes. Everybody took one that I, at the lighting of lights. I was out in 15 minutes because it was big old Santa on it. 
you know, the first few words were catchy, you know, he checks his list, you know, twice, whatever. And then it got into, you know, there's someone else that checks his list, you know. It just, yeah, I wish I had one here, but they're gone. So I'm going to order more for lighting and lights and Christmas time. But it's that easy. If you want to make uh, an impact on the community, get some, some vibrant tracks and go out. Pair up with someone. Even if the other person does, oh, I don't want to talk to anybody, take them anyway. So, you know, then I'll do the talking or whatever. Or we don't have to talk to anybody. We're just going to go. So anyway, um, so then um, probably, was it in uh, maybe January or February or something, I stumbled across Corner Fringe Ministries. Uh, I don't know how many of you know of Corner Fringe, but I uh, really love that ministry. Um, at first, uh, when I came across, you know, you, they create an algorithm when you're on YouTube, if you're watching certain sermons and this and that. Like I said, I, I gave up on TV a long time ago. News, don't need that. Don't need the latest this and that. Forget it. <laughs> I'm having too much fun. And so I stumbled across him. I thought, gosh, this guy's kind of weird. What do you mean, <laughs> Sabbath? Well, what's that? I mean, I mean, I know that, you know, I've been talking to people about the Ten Commandments, but the ninth, that and that, you just use whenever day you want, isn't it, you know? So um, got to listening to more of his, you know, because, uh, like I said, I just thought he was a little weird. I was like, well, okay. I put him on the shelf for maybe two months, you know. Then it popped back into my, you know, algorithm or whatever. And so then I started listening to him more and more. And I thought, wow, he's, he has a style that I have never in the 39 years that I've been a Christian have ever seen. And if you guys aren't familiar with him, he's well-versed. Brings a lot of history in, history of the church, the rabbinical teachings, um, the Talgums, all this stuff. So if you're a history buff, you'll love it because he brings all this in and he's well-rounded, different versions, what the Greek means, what the Hebrew is, how this is used in context. What was the setting back then? Why did they do that? Well, because this was how the Jews were doing things at the time. We miss so much in these churches today because that history is not used. Even the, the books of the Apocrypha, there's a lot of history in that, that if we only understood our history, boy, we would be able to get what the scripture is today that we read. It does literally leap off the page because that is the spirit. This isn't just ink as we know. We all know it's spirit. It leaps off the page and into our hearts and brings conviction. So. If you're not familiar with him, I would highly recommend you guys go through some of his, his studies. The first study I actually watched all the way through was the Hebrew studies, Book of Hebrews. It's really good. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Mike Sutcliffe. He's the online corner fringe part of it. Well, he had made an uh, appearance up there in um, Coon Rapids, Minnesota. That's where the church is. And I was watching it live stream. It's live stream every Saturday morning at 11 o'clock, the services. And he, was, he lives in uh, Dillon, Illinois. And he was there and just, had, they had him up there just talking for a little bit. He didn't give the sermon or anything or what have you. But I thought, you know, if he could make it, I can. So that next Saturday, I think it was April 23rd, I went up there. It's an eight-hour trip. But oh boy, was that, I mean, everybody there is genuine, kind of like here. You guys have hearts that are genuine. When you talk to one another, you care. You, you take each other, you know, around the shoulder, and you actually care for one another, and you provide for one another. It's a, you guys would fit right in up there. And those of you that have been, you know how a blessing that church is. And um, so, I mean, I, had, I was invited to a home. We spent more time just in fellowship and so forth. And it, it was just a great time. I just got to know people. And I'm glad I did because um, they have a Tuesday night prayer group that's online, Zoom. And there's some members of the church that are in it, but then most of it is uh, online community. But that church has blessed so many people um, just throughout the United States. You got people from Melbourne, uh, Australia, you got people in Japan, you've got people all over. And um, uh, Thursday, I was actually in a Zoom, one of the prayer uh, 
couples that are in the prayer group on Tuesdays that I attend on Corner Fringe, they have a, he was in the army, and they have a group of Japanese women that they've been meeting um, for probably 20 years now. Well, they had invited me into the Zoom, and so there was six or seven Japanese women, and we were, and Jim was talking about the fear of the Lord. He had a lot of scripture on it, Proverbs and things, and he was explaining to them, and a lot of them understand English, can speak it pretty well, and there was maybe one or two that didn't quite, I mean, they had a little bit of understanding of English, but it was neat to see that, you know, across the globe, how this church and how we as a community, even here, have an impact elsewhere, and it's just, it was so rewarding. One of the Japanese women, Hiroko, she asked, um, she had asked a question about, because we were getting into the part about the fear of the Lord and how, you know, to fear him, to reverence him, and they were kind of not having the concept. And I said, okay, this is what it's like. I says, when you have a family member, you know, whether it's a spouse or an uncle or an aunt that you're real close to, and you have that broken, if you ever had a broken fr fellowship, you know, that's, that's kind of, you want to get back into that relationship because you reverence that your person, you like them, and so forth. So when you when you break fellowship, it's kind of like doing that with a family member. So that creates a fear of that you don't want that broken friendship that relationship. So explaining that, and so then Hiroko, then she explained it to the rest of them, and then Jim and Nancy, they the the uh, the, the couple, and they had. So it was just it was just so neat to be able for them to understand the fear of the Lord. I think all of them but two are Christians. The other one's just because they want to they learn about the Bible and this and that, but they haven't come to the Lord yet. But, so, you know, there's opportunities. So going back to learning, studying, the, the rubber meets the road when you're able to give it out because everybody should be able to teach, you know, you shouldn't be on milk. Uh, you know, some of you are are years old in the Lord. Um, I guess what comes to mind is, um, you know, First uh, Peter went and talks about uh, three fifteen. But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Um, wanted to. Okay, in Hebrews 5, 8 through 14, I think I'm just going to read it, because this is about, you know, being on the milk. You, get, you know, you should be on solids. Um, verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been per perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him, called by God as his high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom... We have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Um, for, though, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. The Scriptures Bible says the first elements of the words of Elohim. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only in milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of, uh, of use have their senses exercised, the, the scripture says, have been trained by the practice to discern both good and evil. Now the best way to get off the milk and onto the meat or on the food is to share, get out there, share your testimony, whatever conversation style that you're comfortable with. Learn how to use that with the knowledge that you have. Because you're, I'm telling you, you're not going to grow if you don't share it. Because what are, what are we commissioned to do? We're to go to all the nations and preach the gospel and make them disciples, right? That is our, we're commanded to go. So if we're not doing it, don't blame him for no growth. You're going to grow by leaps and bounds. I'm not here to convince you that's not my uh, department, that's his. Um, but I, I hope I didn't go too long. Um, 
you guys got questions about tools and things to use and and evangelism uh i can answer your questions i guess to the best of my ability but thank you all for your time i hope i didn't put everybody to sleep here and <laughs> but thank you and i look forward to getting to know more of you you know um it's this is a big group you know and and i'm telling you we are blessed with this with this big group i am so part i'm glad i'm a part of this because i've been in other groups like this half the size and their hearts are small but you guys have big hearts you care for one another it shows you display that in your words and your actions and your kids are so well behaved <laughs> Like I said, I've been in other groups, oh, and the kids are everywhere. <laughs> but it shows that your parenting, yeah, your parenting skills, are, <laughs> your parenting skills are paying off because I, you know, in any other group setting, I don't think, yeah, it's not possible. Either that or the spirit's heavily at work. <laughs> so thank you, everyone. <laughs> thank you. Yes. Just an informal question. At what point does a large group become a church? Ah. Well, I do consider this that I am not forsaking the assembly. I I used to up until I don't know. A month ago maybe. Yeah, right, right, yeah. Yeah. When I made my trip up to Corner Fringe, that's when I dug in here. But I, yeah, I was going to eat free, but um, it's, you know, I think the pastor's doing the best he can. You know, I mean, they have to please so many people, but if, it does take small groups to, to be able to grow in the Lord. It really does. I would highly recommend that you 